Welcome to the Coronavirus Effect, a podcast asking where do we grow from here. I am Sam Harris, your curious host. Society has never undergone such rapid changes in our lifetimes, and we all have the opportunity to learn and do something good. This podcast highlights the amazing things going on in the world and the ways that we can get involved. It's also a podcast where we discover how industries and the economy works and what the future could hold and how we can define it. If you are hoping to have an anxiety-induced panic attack, you may want to go somewhere else. There will be no live updates on the amount of people dying. There will be no scary dramatic music in the background. And there will be no reasons to crap yourself when you're already low on toilet paper. We are just going to host nice informative discussions with nice people and it's going to be great. Now, breathe. Hello people, I am very sorry for the delay in this episode. Thank you so much to all of you who have been messaging me, asking me for more and telling me that I'm doing a great job. It means a lot. So by way of update, I've had to scrap my initial plans to make highly curated episodes where I interview a number of people in the industry and summarise their thoughts into one single episode. Instead, I am falling back to the simpler option of just hosting a single interview at a time with a super knowledgeable insider to just get great content without any time delay in delivering it to you guys. Um, I am also working on an app that helps with mental health during isolation, so I'm a bit full on on that, which is why I can't do so much for the podcast. And also the hidden member of my team, Mr. Pedrick Ludwig, has had a baby, which is really brilliantly amazing news. It might not be an ideal scenario for making podcasts, but I am still insanely happy about this and nothing can get me down. And my best wishes to all his family and his new baby, Loon. This episode today is based on Nicholas Taleb's book and the theories around black swans. Now, these are seemingly highly improbable events that occur and shape the world as we know it. So this book, The Black Swan, is a very, very relevant tool to read and discuss right now. I discussed it with my friend Nicholas Farik on our other podcast together called The Wiser Than Yesterday podcast, where we pick a book a week to read together and break down and discuss. So here is our discussion on the book and what we learned from it and how to better prepare for life-changing events that seem random and yet are the forces that shape the world around us. This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing a very, very topical book, um, because we are in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, which had severe impact on the stock market. And so the book that Sam and I just read is called The Black Swan by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting read and uh, very applicable to what we see in the markets today. How did you enjoy the book, Sam? I did really enjoy the book. It's a bit more digestible than the last book we read, I felt. It's a little bit long for mostly not too complicated points. There's some moments where he sort of says some things which he sort of has to stop for a second and then it like makes complete sense. 
but like uh, when you sort of find, well, if you had to take like a, a test for cancer and you don't get a positive result, it doesn't mean that you don't have cancer. It means that you have no evidence of cancer, which means you could still have it because you haven't tested everything and mm -hmm. things like that, which it just two ways of interpreting what sounds like the same words, but are actually really different and important. And mm -hmm. so it's worth it's, kind of it, explaining yeah, that quite in depth. <laughs> it's a difference between absence of evidence um, and evidence of absence. Yes, exactly. That's, that's the key difference. It's, Which is kind uh, of the fundamental you, concept of the book, I guess. As in yeah, the black yeah, swan. That's true. Yeah. Let, let's go back and let's, let's yes. talk about the black swan. So what is a black swan? So a black swan is an event that has three key characteristics. So first, it is a big surprise. Two, it has a major impact. And three, and I think that's almost most, most important, it is usually rationalized in hindsight as if it was expected. Mm. And so these are the three main characteristics of a black swan. And so the author argues that black swans are actually what dominates society. So all the things that happen today, all technologies that grow up, all societies that grow large, all the cities that exist and grow, it all happens in a black swan kind of fashion. So it's very hard to, using the models that we use today to model the world, predict um, beforehand. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning that in case readers, listeners aren't aware that black swans were thought to not exist at all because all we'd ever seen were white swans and then a hundred years ago, I can't remember. At some point, a black so, swan was actually found and they went, holy crap, it's a black swan. And they just never thought that would happen. And it somehow became synonymous with this term for really unexpected events. Yeah. So the origin of the name comes from the fact that up until 1697, mankind believed that all swans were white. But when Dutch explorer finally saw black swans for the first time in Western Australia, the term morphed into describing an event that occurred in spite of seeming impossible. Mm. And I think it's best illustrated by the story of the turkey. Yes. Where, um, imagine being a turkey and having someone who cares for you, who gives you food every day. And so on day one, yeah, you get born, you get some food. And the second day, you also get some food. And third day, you get some food again. And after 900 days, you still get fed enough every day and so you think every day um, that you live and every day that you get fed the chance of you dying or something bad happening reduces up until the day that it finally happens and uh, you get slaughtered for consumption and so that is what happens but we humans use statistical models that for each occurrence of something not happening makes the odds of that not happening exponentially small while that's not always the case Mm. Did that make sense, Sam? Yeah, definitely. As in, the fatter you get as a turkey, the closer you are to being slaughtered. But on your models, the less likely you are because of, you've got more and more evidence that you're in a safe environment kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's sort exactly. of how we are with our stock markets and everything. We sort of like, oh, this, the more used you are to a, an environment, the less you are able to cope with change and expect it. So let's talk about how this applies to whatever's happening in the world right now, the corona, corona mm. pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. So what I noticed was that um, on YouTube, when I'm searching YouTube right now, one of the videos that gets recommended all the time is a video of Bill Gates when he spoke for TED. 
where he discussed one of the biggest risks to humanities, which are actually pandemics. Yeah. And so it's, it's quite funny that right now, in retrospect, people are like, look, but we knew all along and it was so clear and, and I knew it and I thought it was going to happen. While in yeah. reality, no one, no one knew what was going to happen and how it would impact the whole world. Yeah, yeah. This wasn't really being taken like that seriously. Um, yeah, we weren't prepared enough, although we should have known, should have known that it was going to happen. Yeah. As in, technically speaking, we have the evidence of the plague and like the Spanish flu is, is massive events on humanity. And now we know, we know that we're so much more connected and these things spread so much faster now in our modern day. But we should have also used to the fact that we have like better healthcare. So we kind of just felt like, oh, it's probably fine. And mm-hmm. you just don't really think about the fact that actually <laughs> when you just have no immunity to a thing, it just spreads and kills people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah, and one of the one of the points of the book is also that black swans disproportionately impact the people or or parties that are least ready for them or least prepared. And I think this is best shown by uh, to this day, countries like Singapore um, and Hong Kong have like a minimum amount of cases because a few years back they had SARS, yeah. and so they they already trained their people to like they have more experience in in what happens when some pandemic breaks out. And so they handled it way better. And so we in Europe were completely unprepared, as is the US. And we're going to feel like it's way worse than, than these countries. Do. Yeah, yeah. It's partly the, the policymakers and government. And it's also the population. They take it much more seriously because they sort of already know what happens. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, in London, I, I, I went from London to a different part of the UK. And there's just such a difference because in London, we'd had it earlier from like people coming in so and london does just feel like a bit of a different world to the rest of the uk so mm-hmm. i spent the last two weeks of like not shaking people's hands and things and i got to glasgow and everyone just looked at me like i was bloody ridiculous when i was like trying to give them like an elbow shake like oh you joker and then just went to still like i was like no <laughs> <laughs> okay. some other people yeah. but now it's, i think it's changed a bit as people are just dying everywhere across the uk and stuff and yeah like changing the laws but yeah. it's just people just don't take it too seriously until it's like bad enough you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which, um, when you've already had it, it's much easier to take it seriously. So in some ways, this is kind of almost a good thing in that it's not the most terribly lethal disease in that sense. As in, if there was another coronavirus that was 20 times more deadly, then if that comes along in sort of 10 years' time, people would remember and be able to take it more seriously. Whereas if that was happening right now, it would have been like more catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Not that it's anyway. You don't want to be saying that this is a good thing right now because probably people don't like you after you say that. Sure. But they, it uh, is interesting. You, you, I don't know if you've had any friends that are a bit more like utilitarian, and some of them are a bit like, "Oh, maybe it's good if all the old people die." And you're like, "Don't say that." <laughs> And stuff. I, I'm usually the one that says these things of my yeah. friends, but I haven't had a discussion yet, and I also um, oh. don't really. I mean, I I don't think it's a good thing. That's never a good thing. I mean, uh, I have, I still have grandparents who are above eighty, mm. uh, two grandmothers. They're doing fine as we speak, but I'm uh, I'm concerned about their their health and well-being. So yeah, a lot of like the climate change activists are sort of like, well, all the uh, travel companies and airlines and oil mm. industries are sort of going down this is a good thing there's less mm-hmm. i mean you look at the air pollution in china it's a bit awful 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 and the last two months it's just like a super clean place to be alive <laughs> in china mm-hmm. and yeah, um, i mean from 
from the perspective of, of the climate, it's great. And I think yeah. also uh, from the perspective of humankind, it's also a good thing. Because it's not that society is going to be wiped out. Mm. I mean, pe- pe- like humankind does, is going to go up. It doesn't sure. really make and you stronger in that sense. One, and, and I mean, uh, we're still like one of the biggest threats to humankind as a species is going to be the climate. And so the fact that we're now allowing, you know, the, all the impact that we've had to recover a little bit is, is never a bad thing. Yeah. And I think also a massive sudden shift of things is in people kind of hold on to what they have. But when you're suddenly used to things changing, it's a bit, it makes more sense to say, actually, if something's going to change the world and like potentially kill us all, it gives you a bit more acceptability to sort of change your current environment to sort of deal with these problems and and do some more radical things as in you know mm-hmm. having all these sort of lockdowns and limitations on what you can buy and things because it's for the good of the people you can kind of accept that and suddenly if you're mm-hmm. like okay if we're going to start taxing certain behaviors and things to like save the world you you're much more ready to accept that kind of thing now which if we had a carbon tax would be very useful kind of thing um mm-hmm. all right so and how does this relate to black swans and, and how, why, do, why are black swans so important then? So the reason black swans are so important and the things that change the world is in, well, if you imagine um, just someone that has like a normal job, these are, these are the average of people that you sort of expect. If you went and found another person, you'd have them expect to have like a normal job and they'd be just sort of earning enough money to kind of grow. Whereas black swans are the people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos like Steve Jobs, these are the people that change the world. But you, if you pick a random person, you're not expecting them to be Elon Musk. But it's Elon Musk that's having one of the biggest effects on the planet right now kind of thing. And they, these are the people that change the world around you and actually shape what is actually going on in the world. But you never predict someone to be like that. In the same way, like if you're in an ancient society and you're sort of trying to plan how to build things, you don't expect that someone's going to invent the wheel next week. But if someone did then suddenly everything that you do will completely change and your whole way of living will be very different after the wheel has been invented, but you wouldn't be able to plan for that. And so black swans kind of completely fundamentally change the way everything is. And so it's useful to realize the impact of them and that that's actually, it's all, it's only black swans that really drive all the major changes in human society. It's not just sort of normal life going ahead day to day mm. in the average way that it is right now. It's mm-hmm. something incredible and different that comes and has a big impact. So if I understand you correctly, the way we live today is mostly or almost 99% of it was caused by black swans. Inventions yes. like the internet, inventions like the wheel and fire, etc. These are all black swan events in themselves. And so how does this translate for you to, to, to what's happening today? Like so, how will the future be, will be shaped by the black swan that's happening today? Yeah, so as in when you're planning like how to live and what to expect, you will be much better off if you're expecting the unexpected and are accounting for that to happen rather than just sort of going ahead, life is normal with all your investments and what you would plan for your career. If you're ready for some possible major differences and things, if you have you know adaptability, resilience as part of your sort of training you can be adaptable and resilient to these changes in economies and things. Whereas if you sort of have a very fixed mindset, 
on the way you do things, then you won't be able to change to these things. You won't have like an open mind to be able to deal with these things. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's time to talk about recommendations in the book, because so what, what the author um, Nassim Taleb does is he explains how, what, what black swans are and also then makes recommendations of how he carries his career and what he does in his daily life to account for the fact that these black swans exist. Because um, he argues that most people model the world after a non-black swan reality. So if we look at the stock market, for example, the stock market and how traders trade in the stock market is profoundly based around models, statistical and um, mathematical models that are based upon the Gaussian curve, the Gauss curve, or the normal distribution, and on um, existing statistical models, which are based upon that. Now, what he says is that in reality, um, reality does not follow the normal distribution, at least uh, not the stock market. So there are some parts in life which do follow the normal distribution, for example, um, people's height, or people's weight, but the returns on the stock market or people's incomes or people's uh, wealth, for example, do not follow the normal distribution. Yeah, yeah. And so the problem is that today, majority of all people who make decisions in the stock market base themselves on models which are not applicable to the stock market. And so they have no way to correctly assess the risk that they're taking whenever they make any decisions. Mm. Like when you rely on averages, you get just warped statistics. So as in if Bill Gates walks into a bar, the average person in the bar is a millionaire. But yeah. <laughs> if you're going to sort of have a part of someone's like wealth of each one, like you're probably going to end up with not very much because most people just earn like a normal amount. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with um, like Y Combinator. I think two of their companies account for 80% of their total money they've made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's and, and I think that that leads in. That leads in. So venture capital is is a good example of what, like how, uh, Talib looks at his career and looks at the way to to earn money. And so what he tries to do is he tries to expose himself as much as possible to positive black swans because there are positive black swans, like for example the invention of the internet or Facebook or Google. These are positive black swans, and he tries to limit his exposure to negative black swans. So one thing that he doesn't do is owning um, stocks of big corporations. Because the only thing that can happen with a stock of a very big corporation, let's say BP, for example, British Petrol, is something, there's only one thing that can happen, which is a very bad thing, like just happened, and the stock can go down massively. There's no unlimited upside potential. While if you're invested in a startup, like, for example, Revolut, this is one example in my space. He tries to maximize his exposure to these positive black ones that have a potential to generate unlimited upside returns. And so one of the takeaways I got from, from what he said is, he says, if you're, if you're doing asset allocation for whatever you own, what he says is you should allocate um, 85 to 90% of um, what you have to something really, really, really low on risk. And so there he would go to treasury bills. And the other 10 to 15%, he would invest in small portions of maximum exposure to potential positive black swans. And so there he would do into VC um, investments, so small startups that have the potential to become the next Google. Because if you take 1% of your 
of your net worth and you invest it um, in a startup that becomes the next Google, then you're set for life. So that's uh, the way he approaches these things. Yeah, it's super good. There's also an interesting article by, by the Y Combinator founder called Black Swan Farming, which is about their strategy of basically why like these business accelerators exist, which is just literally Black Swan Farming, where they just only invest in small companies that have the potential to be the next Google, which mm-hmm. is how they ended up investing in Airbnb and companies like that and Stripe, which then become like those massive billion dollar companies. And, but they do this every year. They invest in like 20 startups, most of which don't do amazingly. Like many fail, many they perhaps make like a small amount of money. And it's just the few that become like massive multi-billion dollar companies that are thing, but you need to have like the odds across a lot of things to get that. And so just expose themselves yeah. to that kind of risk. But obviously it's an accelerator, so don't do all of your money like that. Follow, uh, that's the end <laughs> advice of 80% yeah. in something safe. <laughs> exactly. That's no, true. And I actually, this reading the book made me realize that the way I position my own company, um, so I'm myself regularly going to investors and seeking capital. Mm. And so what I've realized is that we should position ourselves more um, Extreme. to, exactly. So yeah, we've actually people... made a big change. I've already discussed this, but um, right now what we're doing is we're uh, planting trees. So I'm in a payment company. We have a payment app. Um, and what we're saying is for every 10 trees that you plant, no, I'm sorry, for every 10 payments that you make, we plant a tree. And this is drastically different than we did before because we, di- we didn't used to do that. But this gives us the potential of going viral. I'm not saying it will, but at least we expose ourselves to the potential viral effect where people will say, holy crap, with only 10 payments, I can help plant a tree. I care about the environment and I'm going to make sure that my whole family and all my friends also use this app to pay. And so that is, I think, yeah, it's, it's good that we position ourselves in a different way, that we expose ourselves to a potentially positive black swan. Because there's, there's, a, there's a universe in which we become the main payment app yeah, in exactly. the next five years. And the way that we used to run things, the chance for that would have been way lower. Although it's already very low, but it would have been almost non-existent. Yeah, yeah. As in most investors either get their money from like a few huge returns and the rest don't do too much. So you want to sort of say that you have potential to be the huge thing. And if you're just aiming for sort of average, it's average doesn't actually exist where you think it does. So you're probably going to be below what the average is because you're not like the billionaire like Bill Gates. So you need to sort of state that you could be huge and people underestimate their ability to get huge. So people like Bill Gates and like any sort of music artist that's famous, like they never thought they could be as successful as they are, but yet they are. And so you Mm -hmm. have this potential to be hugely successful, like beyond your kind of wildest dreams. And (laughs) otherwise, like you don't know many sort of semi-famous musicians. You're either just like an average worker that sort of just gets paid to go and do sort of not very much at all. Mm-hmm. or you're like massively rich and, but if you're aiming to be kind of quite successful you, you're not actually going to be like quite successful you're just gonna, it's going to be massive or nothing so you just need to always think that you're going massive mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah and i think translating what he says to today um would have meant <laughs> if 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 we were very consistent and we had read this book let's say three months ago if we were uh, nasim taleb what we would have done is we would have we would have bought uh, put options. Mm. 
because that's usually what he does. He doesn't invest in normal stocks, but he, he invests small amounts of money, small amounts of money in order to take advantage of potential black swans, usually negative black swans. And so I think the way that he does that is he buys put options, which where it's a contract where he buys, well, he buys the rights to sell a stock at a certain amount um, of money in the future, at some time in the future. So if I had bought, let's say, a put option for the S&P 500 at um, the level that it used to be a month ago, and I would have bought that put option for today, to be executed today, I would have made massive amounts of money. And that's the way that he, that he actually earns money. So instead of investing in the stock market over long periods of time and, and gaining a bit of money but then potentially losing it all because of one black swan, he actually loses a bit of money the whole time and then wins a lot of money whenever yeah. black swans happens. And that's the way he looks at the world and at um, his money making as well. Yeah, it's just the inverse of normal. People kind of just try to make money while things are good and then like sort of hope they have enough whilst things go mentally wrong. And he's like, well, things go mentally wrong. You can make like five times more money than you ever could during like the times when things yeah. are good. And things will go mentally wrong. It's just a matter of when, right? Yeah. It's, it's not a matter of if. So it, it's going to happen. And so what he does, and the thing is, what I find annoying is I, I read these books. I, I, I understand his message. And I think I fully agree with his message. But then I'm not able to really act upon it. <laughs> yeah. I think once you get older, maybe you can just take that strategy. But when you're young, you kind of, you don't have the longer term capacity to sort of put your investments. If you're 20 and in the next 10 years, a black swan event is going to happen, you can't not make money for the next 10 years. You know, you need to kind of be making money up until that point. You can't sort of put all your money just into like going into things that maybe haven't a huge upside potential, but probably don't make mm -hmm. any money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you need to have like capital to be able to start to to go 10 years without making any money kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, I was lucky enough to not be fully invested into the stock market. And so now is a good time for me because I'm yeah. able to buy um, stuff for cheap, mm. which is still not following the black swan principle, but <laughs> it's still, uh, I think uh, I'm in, this, well, still, in this case, I'm following Warren Buffett. Yeah, yeah. Capitalizing on black swan events, not quite yeah. in the same way as he does it, but it's still... exactly. Exactly. Still Instead advice. of proactively making money on the black, uh, black, uh, black swan event, you're actually reactively um, making money by not being exposed to the negative black swan and being able yeah, exactly. to pick up some cheap stuff. Yeah. It's just um, interesting at the moment. Like I think we were talking before, and as in things are going to be fundamentally different after this. So investing in things just returning to exactly normal is not quite the ultimate strategy. So, you know, airlines they were huge before just invest in airlines. It's like, well, actually they might not be as valuable as they were. Well, the ones that exist might not even exist kind of thing because as in, um, I know some people that are quite big at Heathrow and they've been building like a third runway. Well, they've been planning this for a long time, but they've kind of canceled those plans because one, they can't do that right now, but they're kind of expecting that they're going to have a much lower amount of people flying after this for quite a long while. Because essentially, a lot of their travel, well, a lot of their money comes from business travelers, and no one's changed quite how they do business for the last 10 years, even with like the rise of Zoom and all these things and online meetings. 
there's still a lot of people going around but certainly when people just can't move or anything for four months everyone has suddenly gone to being a remote, a remote company when no one travels and after this they're not expecting to have things go back to what they were after people have suddenly had this forcing function to teach them how to do remote meetings and things like if this is now a bit more business as normal for the next four months it's not going to go back to the way business used to be like there will be some systemic changes in the way businesses operate which means that less people will be traveling for business and then also some more airlines may go down and less slots available and all these things so it's just less travel happening mm-hmm. it, it won't just be able to bounce back straight away because like smaller companies in some ways can survive and just go back to normal straight away whereas these big companies you know they've got to lay off thousands of workers just to be able to survive this they can't just suddenly recruit people all straight away and you just can't suddenly turn on british airways into having like a million flights when half their staff don't exist and and these things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's going yeah, to be right. a fundamental difference I think uh, we're up for a major economic uh, recession because before the whole Corona story, uh, a lot of companies companies were over leveraged and taking advantage mm. of the very low low um, interest payments and the, the, the interest rates. And so now the fact that they're not making money anymore is going to be very problematic for a lot of companies. So I think after this is over, we're going to see a major shakeup where a lot of smaller companies are going to be out of business and bankrupt. Uh, so yeah. it's, for me, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a very weird week for me now because um in the past week I've seen I've spoken to five different people yeah face to face max what? of which ninety nine percent with my girlfriend <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely gonna get a bit like tired of just being around the same people the whole time like oh god I need to go out and do things so I do imagine by the summer people will be pretty excited to go and do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hope it, it gets better by then. But uh, mm. hard to predict. But yes. let's let's get back to the book <laughs> a bit because it's been different, difficult that we're talking about this Black Swan event, um, but not necessarily in the framework that the book presents. Let's discuss the two concepts of mediocristan yes. and extremistan because these are book these are concepts that keep on coming back and is super interesting. And so Talib looks at at the world in in this kind of framework, and he divides the world into two groups. And one group um, of, of, of events or uh, how you call it, of things fall under uh, in the world of mediocrity of, or mediocristan and the other fall into the world of um, extremistan. And so I think we shortly t- touched upon this, but for example, people's height and weight falls into the category of mediocristan, mediocristan. Mm-hmm. And so the way to look at it is if you have um, a thousand people and you take their average weight, for example, and if you then take the heaviest person alive, which weighs, let's say, 500 kilos, I don't know, it's probably a bit less, but let's say he or she weighs 500 kilos, if you add them to that group of 1,000 people, it will not dramatically impact the average. Mm. It will barely impact the average. However, if you take a group of 1,000 people and you take their average net worth, and if you then add the richest person alive, their average net worth, as you said, you know, Bill Gates works into a bar. The average, uh, the average person there in there is a millionaire is going to be the same in this case. Um, and so that's uh, the best way for me to think about what kind of situations belong to mediocristan and what kind of situations yeah. belong to extremistan. Well, in the same way with like, like health or money, and on a given day, you can't get fat or get thin. It's like it's a mm-hmm. long, slow process. 
mm-hmm. on a given day you can lose all your money or become a billionaire kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe not a billionaire but you can become a millionaire <laughs> in yeah. a day yeah and it's, it's, like, it's probably more likely to lose all your money you know usually yeah, yeah. In, in these kinds of things negative black swans happen very fast and usually positive black swans happen over time for example the internet or companies like google facebook etc yeah sure so that's that's an interesting concept Some, something you want to add on that um i think in the same way as in i guess thinking about your jobs and if mm-hmm. you are someone that trades your time for money like or a baker you kind of you need to make more bread to get more money so you, how many moments can you spend making a, a bread roll kind of thing it's the amount of bread rolls that you can make in a day that affects what you earn whereas if you're like a writer like jk rowling she writes harry potter once mm-hmm. she doesn't have to write another book for another person mm-hmm. to buy a book she, you have to make another bread roll for another person to buy a bread roll kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. so yeah it's 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 a concept of scalable and non-scalable jobs right exactly and I found it kind of ironic the, that the author actually suggests, like if he would make a suggestion to someone, if, if someone comes to him for career advice, he would suggest them to pursue a non-scalable career. So uh, a job in the field of mediocrity, because he says that um, the odds of, uh, we, there's a survivorship bias when it comes to, for example, entrepreneurs. Mm. We only hear about the Elon Musks and the Jeff Bezos and, and the Bill Gates, people that start in their garage and get filthy rich. But we never hear or we don't hear enough about all the people that tried and failed. Yeah, and so yeah. the way he describes it is that there's more actors or writers being hungry than there are hungry accountants or dentists. Just that's, what I personally, that, that's what I personally try and take away from this is that um, I used to work as a freelancer, as a developer, mm. and now I moved into the world of entrepreneurship. And so I think I see myself being an entrepreneur and just starting business after business until one succeeds, you know? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. One, it's way more fun. Mm. And two, I expose myself to the, the potential upside benefits of a, of, a, of a positive black swan. Yeah. If you can find a way to sort of, as in like the 80%, 85% to sort of 15% of your investment, as in if you, it sounds like you should be spending 85% of your time being a contractor and just 10% on like a startup. But I mm-hmm. think... If you're able to explain why your startup might be great, you can always raise money and then just pay yourself the same kind of wage that you would be earning normally anyway, but mm-hmm. just doing things that have unlimited upside potential. And at one point, one of them will go really well, hypothetically, <laughs> just okay. being able to raise because, capital and stuff. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a gamble, but what most people do, like if you go work for a big company, you're probably going to earn a higher salary than you mm-hmm. do if you start your own company. Uh, that's, is, that makes sense. And so what in the end, I think, happens is that people who work in a big company, they start saving up the extra money, right? So they have, let's say they need 1,500 euros to survive and they earn 2.5K. So they have a thousand that they can put into their savings. And if you're an entrepreneur, you will never be able to pay yourself 2.5K. So let's say that you pay yourself 1.5, just enough to survive, and there's no way for you to save. And then what you're actually doing is your saving is the potential, the upside potential of your venture, I think that's, well, that's the way I'm looking at it. And that's how I try and live my life, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And kind of relates to stuff we were talking about before the episode of the changes back to more coronavirus stuff, but, but Black Swan related, as in a fundamental shift in what is valuable potentially, as in, as in when the world has massive Black Swan events, 
because if climate change goes nuts and we need to have like the government enforcing complete changes in the way we live our lives and perhaps if you spent all this time earning money to have like different houses and all these things but there's countries that are uninhabitable and people come in and just need to be given houses maybe the government just takes land off people and just says hey humans <laughs> we haven't got enough space if there's space here it becomes this other person's and it doesn't really matter that it's got your name on it currently it, it won't have your name on it anymore kind of thing mm -hmm. and certainly mm -hmm. i mean i was in israel where the jewish nation came and was just given half of israel from the people that already lived there and people were just thrown out of their houses and had nowhere to live and there's 60 years later there's still people living in refugees camps in palestine because their land's just been taken off them and israeli nation can still come and just destroy houses at any given moment and you kind of realize that what you think is normal is can just be taken away from you it's just Mm -hmm. just because your name's written somewhere doesn't mean you actually own a house being more ready for these things like i said like having more of a resilient mindset and ability to change is important in the world of black swans exactly and i think what you're um saying right now is is probably the main message from the from the book and it is that open your minds to the worst kind of scenarios mm. and the most extreme kinds of scenarios you can't you can't know what's going to happen but you can try and figure out how the worst thing that could happen will impact you. And the, the, one of the messages in the book is to um, understand that and make sure that you're ready when the worst thing that could happen happens. Yeah. And I think it goes quite a lot into how bad we are at predicting things. And if you are prepared for specific events, you're less prepared than someone that's just slightly prepared for everything. So if you expect something very specific to happen, so let's say you know that you've, you've had like hurricanes before and you just invest all of your emergency resources into defending against hurricanes, then you're not prepared for other events such as a pandemic. <laughs> Whereas if you just know that mm -hmm. crap happens and you just invest more in emergency services and teaching your nation to sort of follow your instructions and change things you're much more prepared for different possibilities that you can't really predict mm -hmm. yeah so that's true being more of a not specific skilled but like a, a multi-purposey <laughs> thing and yeah, yeah, yeah. expecting that you're not going to be able to ex to know what to expect yeah. <laughs> a lot of experts. All... Yeah, i don't know where, where i got in that chain <laughs> we should all start watching bear grills videos yeah fast Definitely. just to be able to survive in the wild all right one one concept i would also like to touch upon is the ludic fallacy and so the ludic fallacy is the tendency of humans to use things they know to explain events and so i think the best illustration of this is is a casino and so the author describes all the measures that a casino takes to limit their potential losses and as you might expect, they install cameras everywhere and they, they limit all the risk that they run, the operational risk that they run by w while running a casino. So they make sure that there's no cheaters, no one's you know, counting cards, and people cannot make very, very big bets because that could potentially be a risk to them. Mm. And so they've invested millions and millions and millions of dollars into reducing their operational risk. And in the end, looking back, the biggest losses that the casino made, which 
totaled in the hundreds of millions, where one, one of their artists got attacked by um, a, uh, his or her animals. So they had like an animal, like a show with animals. Yeah, it's one of the tiger. Was, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was one. Then the other one was one of their employees who had to send some tax reports, actually just never sent the tax reports. And so they got like a huge fine for that. And so in the end, the ludic fallacy is that the casino assesses the risks using what they know, which is yeah. casino games, you know, roulette, blackjack, and slot machines. But they don't take to, into account any other types of risk. And so if they had gotten any kind of insurance for, for example, an employee that's not doing their job, they would be way better off. And that's a ludic fallacy. It's like we, we try to use models we know to explain the stuff we don't know. And that's a big, very big mistake. Some other points you'd like to touch on? Yeah, the 80-20 rule. I quite liked his mm. assessment of that as in it could actually be the 51 rule. Not They're not the same ratios at all. But as in, it's just the most gains come from like a smaller part of the population, like the 20% results in the 80% of gains kind of thing. But then within that 20%, it's the same rule again. So that's why you have like from the one, you get 50% 50 of your gains. Well, from the 1%, you get like 50% of gains kind of thing over the world. So mm -hmm. a 28 rule is just like it's a random part on the curve of the way these two things interlap that just happen mm -hmm. to sound good that gets mm -hmm. dated, but it's actually not fully accurate. Mm -hmm. Or I think. I mean like, if, if, if you try to, to use that principle for wealth, for example, yeah. you can say that the top 0.00001% owns uh, like 50% of all wealth. Crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think like nonfiction authors, it's like five books a year account for like 90% like of sales or something. Mm -hmm. really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really crazy how, and, and, and I mean, that's the, the, common, the common point in the book is that people, uh, humans, we try to um, model the world according to th something we can understand. Mm -hmm. And so the normal distribution and the 80-20 rule, we understand. And then that's why we then try and apply it to everything in the world. While he suggests that, that we should work the other way around. So instead of coming up with a, with a model and then applying it to the world, we should look at the world, have as much experience as, as possible, have as much data as possible, and then use that to create a model and use that to assess futures, uh, the future and, and risks and probabilities. Yeah. All right, that rounds up the episode. We discussed Black Swan by Nassim Taleb and the current pandemic. Uh, caused by the coronavirus. Black Swan is a second book in Nassim Taleb's series on randomness and life. And please join us next week when we discuss the next book in the series, which is called The Bed of Procrustes. See you then. Ciao. Thanks again for listening. Next week on the Coronavirus Effect podcast, I'll be speaking with Dame Stephanie Shirley, who grew up in the Second World War as a refugee she then moved on to start her own software consulting business, employing women remotely who had to live at home to start a family. She grew this business to be worth over £3 billion and worked on amazing things like the technology behind Concord. She since moved into philanthropy after her son died, who had lived with autism. Her life story is currently being made into a movie, and she just has an amazing perspective having lived through epic disasters, and she has some top tips on being successful whilst working remotely. I will also be talking with Caitlin Phillips, who wrote the book The Future of Feeling. 
This book explains why we lack empathy in our online worlds and why the culture of hate has spread with things like Facebook and Twitter. Now, this is a very relevant book right now as we spend a lot more time stuck at home engaging with others virtually. I have seen more arguments on WhatsApp groups and Facebook, etc. than I have in all of last year because people are very emotional and forgetting that the person on the other end of a message is a real human. So this is a really useful conversation for right now and for building a future as we become increasingly a tech-obsessed world. So please stay tuned for next week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with others and let's spread some love and calm thoughts about the situation. Now, take it easy and don't watch too much news. Love and kisses from me.